Hello, everyone, and welcome to Capes, Cows, and Masks, the show where we uncover the world of soups and science fiction. I'm your host, Jake Hart. I'm a podcaster, sound designer, and a writer for Fresh Take Hub. And today I'm joined by my fellow co-host, David Oscar. I am a editor over on Fresh Take Hub, also a podcaster and writer. Yes, good to uh, be back on the show, Dave. This is going to be our weekly news show, as always, breaking down and discussing the biggest news stories that have hit the web and the stands. And of course, we've got our pool list at the end. Unfortunately, Tom is not with us this week, so I will be taking the over the duties of the pool list this week. So you're going to get my tasting comics uh, for once. But in, re- in respect, it's very similar to Tom's. But Dave, what have you been up to this week? What have you been watching? Or have you been a bit too busy to be doing watching some stuff? It's a bit of a mix of everything. I suppose it has been uh, a busy time. I have... Uh, let's think, what have I been watching? I did... Uh, recently, I wanted to get a start on a show called The Plot Against America. Uh, because I was a big fan of Man in the High Castle. And I think it's the same author of that original series. And I'm kind of into that like alternate history kind of stuff. So I started that. It's got a limited time on now TV for some reason, which I never understand why they do all that kind of stuff. Like, oh, you only have 14 days to watch it. And I'm like, why? <laughs> it's like Sky Atlantic HBO stuff. I don't understand why it keeps going on and off there all the time. But again, that's a different conversation. So I started that. That was interesting. So I just need to sort of continue with that. I also watched actually the uh, first episode of Marvel 101, was it? With the Japanese Spider-Man? Oh, 616. Six one six. Yeah. Where'd you? Same thing. One one one. Six one six. I was just thinking of like informational kind of stuff, like giving you the four one one. I suppose I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. So that that was fun because uh, it kind of tied into a lot of stuff that I've been watching recently, like watching like the kaiju Japanese sort of stuff, then watching like a bunch of like history stuff about like Japanese heroes and like their origins of like. Super Sentai and Kamen Rider and stuff. And then that sh- show talks about that as well with the inclusion of Spider-Man. So it was a weird coincidence that that was the first episode. But I was kind of there wanting to watch something kind of pop culture documentary based because uh, I enjoyed the movies that made us, the toys that made us, all that kind of stuff. So I thought that that was a, a good equivalent. So yeah, I uh, checked out the first episode of that as well, which I really enjoyed. And of course, Loki, Bad Batch. Uh, Loki, I think, give me a lot of what I was saying about last week in terms of what I kind of missed from the first episode was that real kind of like, oh, you know, we need to be invested in this now. Uh, And yeah, that was quite the ending. And I think it really did signify this as like a now, you know, must watch because it had such a good sort of cliffhanger ending. And it was kind of like that moment you have in a lot of TV shows, you know, the so pin drop moment, I think, which was really fun. Yeah, I got to agree with you, Loki. I am absolutely loving this show. I said last week I was uh, hugely impressed with the premiere episode and the second episode delivers even more, going deeper into these characters, exploring weirder and wackier things. And obviously that reveal at the end, which, you know, it's been on the internet now for a while, we can say the reveal of Lady Loki. You know what I mean? Like, it's huge and you know we kind of suspected we were going to get there but the way it was done it was just fantastic and also as i mentioned to you guys on the the group chat bonnie tyler at the minute is absolutely killing it with the royalties of holding up for a hero 
having appeared on the second episode of Loki, the Masters of the Universe trailer, and the Guardians of the Galaxy video game trailer. She's raking it in at the minute. <laughs> it's uh, funny you brought up Marvel 616 as well, because I don't know if I did, but I'm pretty sure I told you months ago, I was like, you have to watch this because it's amazing. And um, that episode is great, but there's a few episodes in that they like sort of cover like the writers of Marvel or the artists, and they, there's also one episode about cosplaying. And I think what I think it was the one about cosplaying it actually brought me to tears. Oh no! And there was also one about action figures as well. That one, you know, it just got right right in the feels, and it's just oh my god, I'm getting teared up thinking about it now. Like just how they're expressing their love for the action figures, for cosplaying, what Marvel and these characters mean to them. Oh, it's so good. I highly recommend anyone to check out Marvel 616 on Disney Plus because if you're a fan of Marvel, you will love it. It is just a joy to watch. And it's funny you also mentioned a, a Toys That Made Us because obviously I'm on the masses of the universe bandwagon at the moment. You know, we got the new show coming up very soon. I've got holding up for a hero on repeat on my iPhone. But I also was like, oh, you know what? I'll watch the He-Man, the Toys That Made Us episode as well. So it's really good fun to re revisit that because that's a good one as well. And uh, just seeing some of those toys. Like, I wasn't obviously there at the time of its peak. I got a lot of like older toys, like secondhand toys from like older relatives and stuff like that that I played with. And I got some of the newer ones when sort of in the early 2000s when they did that wave. But it's just really interesting to see how toy companies work. And you think you think the movie business is hard. You try entering the toy business, man. There's a lot of sharks in there. And there's I remember them talking about who, who actually created the character He-Man. There's an ongoing battle and no one's quite willing to admit who created what. So it's, it's yeah, it's a lot of drama in the toy business at times. <laughs> yeah, well, even similarly, with they did that high score as well. Like, it's just, even though, again, I, I enjoy the movies that make us, I think it's just because there's a kind of more natural progression to making a film. There is just, you know, oh, we write the script, we come up with the idea, you know, it gets commissioned, we cast this person. Whereas I think the toys and video games are kind of like a untamed beast, if you will, in that they kind of just go, yeah, and let's just do it and just unleash it and then just see what happens. Whereas I guess movies are kind of made a bit more by, by committee and there's a lot more people involved with it. Whereas like what's fascinating about like, high school and the toys that made us is like a lot of them are these kind of labor of loves for a lot of people or like you said it's very much a kind of franchise mentality of like oh well it needs to have a tv show and the reason the tv show exists is to sell the toys and the reason that the toys exists is to promote the tv show so it's this kind of weird conglomeration of stuff and yeah just very particular to a certain era as well like again if you watch like stories of like how 90s films or 80s 70s a lot of them are going to be quite similar to how you see the production of like films today even because again there's something about toys and video games from like back in the day if you want to say that which is a lot different and it's just got this like nostalgia and uniqueness to it i guess because they were kind of evolving industries whereas like cinema has been around for like a hundred years Whereas video games only really boomed during like the 80s and 90s. And I think that's what makes those kind of franchises a lot more interesting. And like I said, it, it developed, you know, it was people in their basements. It was people like developing these things and like adding levels and just making them on their computers and that kind of stuff. So that's always the stuff that surprises me is that 
like something like, I think it's like Miss Pac-Man or something, is it where they used to have arcade machines. And again, again, cinema's not changed. You know, there's home video, there's the cinema releases, you know, watching it on television. With video games used to be arcades, and that was the only way you could play them. And they had a set amount of levels and nothing would change. And the fact that some students went along and took like Pac-Man and then like soldered together like extra pieces of chips or whatever to like make extra levels and was selling them to the arcades. And then Namco and Atari and all those kind of people went, um, excuse me, <laughs> you were like taking our product and making money off it. And then eventually hired them. So it's like it's like crazy stories like that, which tend to happen in like toys and video games, I find. Yeah, and it's, it is always around that era as well, particularly the 80s, because when I was flicking through the episodes, just looking at all the episode titles, I was thinking, you know what? The, actual, the majority of all these toy lines came out in the 80s. Do you know what I mean? Or at least the, or the early 90s, some, some, some of them. And I was just thinking, God, that must have been the pinnacle peak time for toys and for kids. Because I remember, what, even though I was a kid in the 90s, toys were still huge, do you know what I mean? Um, and also, especially le leading up to the Star Wars prequels, there was that huge boom of Phantom Menace and stuff like that. So I've always really valued toys and seeing kids play with toys. But the 80s, man, those kids had it all. Like, obviously, with the Star Wars original trilogy, Motu, Ninja Turtles, you know, loads, absolutely loads. It's crazy. To be a kid in that time, must have been something. What a time. What a time. It's just uh, last before we go into the new. I'll just say it's um, it's a shame that kids don't quite have the experience we had with toys these days now. You know, a lot of it is, you know, iPads and apps and all that sort of thing, which is fine. You know, that obviously has a lot of merits and advantages, but I can't help but think oh, you guys are missing out on these little molds of plastic that created a whole world for us. Whenever I think of people saying like, oh, well, you know, they've got digital stuff now, like apps and iPads and all that kind of stuff, you know, and in some ways we had that back in the day, but it was more your kind of like little <laughs> teach you numbers thing that appeared <laughs> on your screen <laughs> like television. And it was like a little crappy 2D green map and it was just like scatter across the map and then go and meet the ladybug and all this kind of stuff. Whereas now it'd be like this 3D animal or something like taking you through an entire 3D world. It was like, so that that's the biggest change in what's happened. Go to a Toy Story. We had something like Mr. Spell. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Yeah, Spell. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, let's get into the news then. Tear up page one. Run that photo instead. Headline? Spider-Man, hero or menace? Exclusive Daily Bugle photo. So our first story is Andy Muschietti. He doesn't stop. He's relentless at the minute, dropping the images left, right, and center as The Flash is currently in production right now in London. And we'll, we'll start with the official stuff first. Then we'll go into, like, you know, the, the set picks and stuff for like that. Now, normally we don't discuss, you know, leaked photos or on-set photos on this show. We like to keep it official. But I think with Andy Muschietti releasing his photos and these photos being all throughout the internet, I think it's hard not to talk about it. So uh, first of all, we get our look at the Flash's new logo. Andy Muschietti dropped that on his Instagram. And we also get the logo and part of the costume of our new Supergirl, played by Sasha Gage. So before we get into, like, you know, the, the leaked stuff that we see, Dave, these images, you know, the Flash logo and the Supergirl logo, do they interest you? Are they striking to you? Are you uh, interested in this movie or where these characters are going to go with these new logos? 
Yeah, I think for a project that's been in the pipeline for so long, like one, it's nice just to see it come to fruition now. You're like, oh, it's real. It's actually happening. It's, you know, they're there on set. So one, that's good. It adds a bit more context to the whole multiverse kind of stuff that we've speculated about. So now again, it's it's not like the problems that we've had with Spider-Man. Like, well, what is this movie? How many characters are there going to be? You can kind of in your head now go like, okay, we know the main players potentially just because of those set photos. Obviously, there might be a lot more elements that we're not seeing. But usually when you have those kind of photos, say like when years ago they had the leaked photos of the Suicide Squad, the uh, David Ayer version, you could kind of get an idea of like, you know, what characters we're dealing with, which members of the team would be following. You know, they don't tend to be leaked set photos of supporting characters really, do they? So I think it gives us a bit more context about what the film is going to be like and who we're dealing with, which I think is good. You know, it's it's ramping up anticipation. It makes it feel like this film is now real. And it just gives you a bit more imagery and an idea of what kind of film it's going to be. And yeah, I think that it, it does make me more excited for it because in terms of the Supergirl stuff, it makes me a lot more interested in this character because I think in the past, I haven't been too interested with her as a character because I've, I've not really liked the kind of cheerleader look they go with for her. I just don't find it very interesting. The fact that she is just this blonde bombshell super Superman equivalent, I just don't think has ever really been that interesting just because she just looks such a generic female version of a character. And I think maybe because we've seen her a lot, I think especially even in like the Justice League cartoons, I was always just like, what, she just wears a Superman t-shirt? You know, like how lazy is that? She doesn't even have like a costume per se. So I think that this goes to show of like why it's important to diversify the character and just make her own thing. So I think that this could definitely be an example of like Jason Momoa with Aquaman or even Tony Stark or a lot of the characters we've seen over on Marvel. This could actually be like a big step up for that character from what was originally a more smaller character within the comics. I might offend some people there, but I'm just saying that she's never been like a massive, you know, crowd bringer. She's not had like big films you know i know that she does have a film out there i know that you had to endure it once so i know that you know that there's not a good word for that so we haven't had like a big supergirl movie that's earned a billion dollars or anything she's not had like a massive television show she has had one but it's a kind of cw stuff so it just gets mixed in with all of that so as i see this and i go oh that is its own character she is her own thing which i think is good rather than it just being like oh it's just blonde superman mm-hmm yeah, no, I agree with you. First of all, in regards to the film happening, I'm like you, I'm just like, yes, it's finally happening. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> I've always had this sort of belief that it's not officially happening until they're in production. Because pre-production can be, you know, years and years and years until... And even still, you know, I, I go back to um, uh, the Tim Burton Superman film. They were literally about to start shooting and it got canned. Do you know what I mean? It can change quite like that. So Spider-Man 4. Uh, Spider-Man 4 and all that sort of other stories like that. So the fact that they're shooting, I'm like, okay, we're finally getting this movie now. Uh, and as for the logos, you know, I we discussed them a few months ago when we covered DC Fandom. I was a fan of the new logo, um, you know, taking a different direction from what Zack Snyder did. 
Uh, I wasn't huge on Barry Allen, the character, but then, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League turned that around for me. So I'm now even more intrigued to see what Ezra Miller does with the character. I love that the suit is more comic accurate, you could say. Looks like more like a One Piece, which would be cool. And God, to hope, I please hope it comes out of the ring. Please let it come out of the ring. That would be epic if they can do that. Oh, he's got the ring, so it's bound to. <laughs> so Supergirl, yeah, I really like that they've gone for that. This the red top above the S as well. And we'll go to the leaked photos. You know, we see her in the full uh, One Piece suit. Like, I really like that they've ditched the skirt. They obviously did that before in the Supergirl TV series. And Melissa Benoit, who does play the character wonderfully, has said, well, and I've always thought this as well with any superheroine uh, with a skirt. I've always said that's very impractical if you're flying around and punching people and stuff like that. And they even made a point of saying, yeah, you know, it's just we did it at the beginning to sort of honor the look, the iconic look of Supergirl. But as the seasons have gone on, we've realized this is really impractical. Let's give her like actual trousers or like a one piece way more practical you can do all sorts of things so i like that they're doing the same with sasha kaja but even just the, the suit itself with the red on the top uh the fact that sasha kaja is a latina you know that is a completely different look for the character that we've not seen before and you know she's got the short hair the black hair which is very different we're used to seeing as you said dave a blonde bombshell for a sort of supergirl look so this seems like a really different and interesting perspective on the character I also think it's interesting that the logo is pretty much the same design or within the same world or Krypton, you could say, as Henry Cavill's Superman. You know, it. I found that quite interesting because I thought I thought they were moving their way from that sort of stuff. Uh, but I don't know how they're going to maybe, if she's linked to Henry Cavill's Superman, I'm not too sure yet. It would be weird if she wasn't, considering it is the same logo. Because so, then I'm sort of thinking, well, what are you sort of doing here? Are you keeping Henry Cavill as a Superman or not? I don't know. If they wanted to make it a different Supergirl from this universe or this multiverse, whatever, I think, you know, change up the, the logo a bit anyway. But whatever. And then we see Michael Keaton. He looks like Bruce Wayne. He's got the same hairstyle as he had in 89. Obviously, you know, a few less hairs and completely gray now. But I got Batman Beyond vibes from him. That sort of older Bruce Wayne. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited for this. And I just can't wait for this movie. But um, for me, I'm really excited to see what they do with Supergirl and how they change the character. Because while I think, yes, I agree with you, she hasn't been like in the forefront a lot. I do think the, the CW series has done a lot now to bring her more up into the forefront and into more fans' sort of psyches. And I think if they can keep following up with Wonder Woman, Birds of Prey, you know, these superheroine films that DC... You know, we haven't seen Black Widow yet, but DC seems to have an edge over Marvel at the minute. I think they should capitalize on this. And if this is successful, give her her own solo film, I say. And it also goes to show that their look is important because, again, while somebody could say, oh, well, just because she's got long blonde hair doesn't mean she can't be this and this type of character. But I think the history has shown us and adaptations or even creations of certain characters goes to show that, you know, at the end of the day, that's how we act as humans. You know, you're not going to get, you know, say a punk girl or somebody who's a bit more tomboyish or more... Uh, individual who's then just going to be walking around in pink and long blonde hair i think the the fact that she's got short hair 
she has a costume which is you know less feminine doesn't have like you said impractical elements like a skirt I think it just goes to show that if it was an actress playing that and even if they wanted to make Supergirl more of a badass character less of a kind of damsel and you know less dumb blonde in a way I suppose you know you know no offense to again blondes or anything like that so when you are then a character who's got like this short hairstyle which is like you know more like roughed up and everything like that and you're not in this more like girly costume you're gonna feel like more of a different character you're gonna take on a different persona which I think is important so and we've seen that already you know Captain Marvel she she works best I think in Endgame like she had her short hair in that and that makes her more of like a, a sort of more credible force she doesn't look like a doll as much and the same so again it's not so much even about hair color I suppose it's just the way that it's designed you know if you've got like a, a nice curly blonde hair then you're like well that doesn't look realistic whereas when she's got the short crew cut sort of hair then she looks like a soldier and it's the same hue and we've seen it with Harley Quinn you know she had her hair like sort of chopped and turned a lot shorter for Birds of Prey which kind of give her more of a, a tomboyish look so I think that it sort of reinvents the character in that way. And I think the good thing about the costume is, again, I was a bit unsure when I saw just the, the photo that the director released. But when you see it in those photos, I think it just strikes the right balance. I think there was a bit of concern. I think Tom said I was similar, that it might be looked too similar to like Captain Marvel or somebody like Spider-Man. But I think it just has the right mix. I think that it looks different enough. It makes her individual. It doesn't look like she's just wearing... Henry Cavill's suit is different enough you've got the red I like the fact that she hasn't got like red boots as well I think that that makes it quite different and when she's saw like holding her own in that photo where she's kind of looks like she's flying or something or or floating it kind of just gives her like a more you know warrior kind of look in this like this one jumpsuit like a sort of flight suit kind of makes her just more ethereal I guess rather than sort of looking like a soldier and I think that that looks cool and I think there was some photos where you could see that she had a long cape which I also think is important because the short cape again I think just adds to the cheerleader look whereas I think it's important that you can be like no the girl can have the long cape as well and that adds to like you know if you see her flying around you see this big cape you know floating about the place which Zack Snyder has obviously loved to do he's like to have the very like wavy cape and you know it sort of like flutters as he's coming down and they usually do it in in post I think that that will give you those Superman vibes when you see that as well and I think it'll just add to that kind of like godly element of the character. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that, Dave, like, because I didn't see those photos. So it's good that you pointed out that, that she is going to have a cape. But I was actually going to say, do you want her to have a cape or not? Because sometimes you do see them with the cape practically. But a lot of the time, like you said, just do it digitally because it's easier. And you can also do some crazy shit with a digital cape that you can't do with a real cape. So I was yeah, going to ask, do you, do you want a cape. cape or not? You're pro cape. Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm going against Edna Mode here just because I think that it, it makes it. <laughs> the character look like Superman. <laughs> and, well, no, it, like I said, it, it, it's a part of the super people. The super family. You yeah. know, concept, you know. And, uh, yeah, I just think that the short caper was kind of just undermines them. It makes them seem like more of a child or, you know, like the less superior character. So, and I think that the, the long cape sort of just adds to, to the character and just makes them seem... Like they could stand alongside Superman as their fellow super character rather than just like like you have in the comics when you have, you know, 
Aqualad and you know someone junior and that kind of stuff. It's not. It doesn't. I I've always felt like that about Supergirl. It was I guess because she's called Supergirl. It's not because there is is there a Superwoman or like because people have maybe speculated about whether she will be Superwoman, which would also be interesting because there's something about girl lad, you know that makes them then automatically the companion. You know so. Um, I was actually thinking as well, like what iteration of Supergirl we're gonna get. Like, are we gonna get um, Kara? You know, which is the the Supergirl we all know. You know, uh, the one played by Melissa Bonoy and the one in the main Supergirl, Superman's cousin. Do you know what I mean? Or we gonna get um, this relatively new take on Supergirl created by Tom Taylor called Lara Lane Kent, which I sent in the group chat as well. One of the the comic panels of this character, which she looks very much like what the character that Sasha Kar- Sasha Kaja is looking like. She's got the red on top of the S. She's got the short black hair. So I think it'll be interesting to see what take they do go with it. If they do go for a left field choice like that, we go, oh, we're going to try this take on Supergirl. That would be interesting. Or if they are going for Kara and they're just changing up the look of Kara. Personally, I prefer Kara because, again, I just think it would undermine the character if they're like, oh, I'm this person's daughter or child. So, again, it just undermines them already because they're standing on the the shoes of their parent. But also, I'm not sure, but, like, the history would go too well in their favor in the sense that she is a child of Lois and Clark, which are two white characters in the comics, which, Mm. you know, her being of a Latino background, again, they could change the the history you know we're dealing with multiverses and all that kind of stuff but i think because at this stage we have seen henry cavill play superman and we've seen amy adams play lois lane i think it would just be a bit confusing for people even if they don't want to accept that that's the canon version of superman in this timeline or or whatever i think that Again, even even if you look at the other versions of Lois and Clark, they're always two white people with black hair. So I think they would be better to sort of say, no, she's her own thing. And then you can just assume that her parents would have been of similar descent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Exciting stuff. You know, this film is under production now, well into it. So I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot more photos and hearing a lot more news as the weeks go by. So... Looking forward to that. But Dave, uh, what's the next story we've got? So uh, interestingly, we've talked a lot about in the past release days, you know, what is the best time for these streaming services to be releasing their content? You can have a lot of stuff that's all bundled into one day on different services. You've got a lot of stuff to go through. And when they changed to Wednesdays with Loki, we were quite open to it. So now apparently they've made the decision to switch the premiere for new MCU series two Wednesdays as a official day for original series and then films etc will be so more stick to the the Friday release which I think is an important move so yeah Disney Plus has now officially confirmed that all its original series programming will be shifting to that new weekly release date this will include all of the streamers original scripted unscripted and animated shows so yeah, we're going to Wednesdays for all of those kind of originals and then Fridays will be like our movie day. So what what do you think of that that change, Jake? Like I said, the, we've talked about it quite a few times before, you know, not necessarily saying, oh, I think they should do this, but we've, we've talked about the problems of having stuff appear on one day 
and all the different services using the same day, etc. Yeah, I think you said a couple of weeks ago you were looking at everything that was coming out on Disney Plus and you were like, man, Fridays are just absolutely stacked. And that doesn't include everything coming out on Netflix and Prime and Apple TV Plus and cinemas are back open. So we want to go to those. Yeah. And it's just a lot of content at the minute. And actually, actually, this week, I just want to add to add to that is the when the bad batch unveiled i don't know if you noticed this but i went on to disney plus and the row of like new to disney plus bad batch was like on the second row i was like this isn't very good your brand new episode is out and there's so much that's released that day the bad batch wasn't even like there at the front because there was so many other things they've added and that's star wars <laughs> you know yeah I mean? exactly <laughs> so that shows what our problem is yeah it's just crazy so i think this move i i'm in I'm not in two minds. I just have to, I'd like to add something to it. Now, I like the decision. I think it's a very good decision uh, because they have seen that with Loki, moving Loki to Wednesday, they've seen huge success with that. It was actually the most premiered, uh, most watched premiered episode of any, of any show they've done so far. And I think a lot of it has to do with the Wednesday evenings. Now, Fridays now is becoming very chock-a-block. And it's not just as I said, all the stuff on other streaming services, the world is reopening, you know, uh, cinemas are back opening. So people want to go to see their Friday night movies or Saturday night movies, the weekend, you know, we want to go see our friends. We want to go to barbecues. We're in summer now. We want to go to the pub, the football's on, you know, there's a lot going on at the minute that is, and also the fact that we've been kept inside for 14 months, you know, we just want to go outside and, and, and do shit. So it makes sense that they've gone, well, you know, let's move it to a Wednesday then because people are less likely to go out of their house on a Wednesday evening than they are on a Friday or a Saturday. You know, midweek, you're not going to be doing anything crazy. You've got work the next morning. So how about we'll just give you this show that you're watching, one hour episode. You can watch it with your other half or on your own, whatever you prefer, and just chill out for the evening before going to work the next day. I think it's a really good move. I do think, though, we're still going to get to a stage where we're going to have loads of Disney Plus shows all premiering at the same time, whether that be animated Star Wars stuff, live-action Star Wars stuff, Marvel stuff. Like, I think we're going to get to a point where, like, oh, so Boba Fett's out today, and so's uh, Miss Marvel, and uh, so's this. So all on the Wednesday. So I thank you for, m for moving it from Friday so I can watch my movies at the weekend, but there's still a lot of shows going to be coming out on the Wednesday, I think it would be cool if they, you know, as they're saying, you know, we're adopting an old TV approach by releasing it weekly. Weekly, We'll go even older, do like, well, Monday nights is this, Tuesday nights is this, Wednesday nights is Loki, Thursday nights is Book of Boba Fett. Do you know what I mean? Spread it out a bit more, and that way you'll get more eyeballs on it on the day it drops. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's just a an evolving situation. It's still an experimental element of streaming because it's still quite relatively new kind of similar i suppose to what we were talking about earlier with uh, toys and video games maybe in a few years we'll get you know all these conversations well when we started disney plus we didn't know what days to do and then i came into the room and i said guys what about wednesdays <gasps> the, the streamers <laughs> that made us yeah exactly so uh I, I i agree with you i think that eventually then they'll start to go well you know our monday's Star Wars Day is Wednesday, Marvel Day, all that kind of stuff. And I think... Monday-Lorian, you could say? 
Oh, <laughs> we'll have a lawsuit on our hands, I think, then. Uh, so somehow I think they might have more money for uh, lawyers than we will. I think we'd lose uh, so badly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think, like, I always think back to, again, the old days. Like, BBC used to do something called, like, Thursdays of Funny, which was, like, a day in which they had, like, you know, a bunch of, like, comedy and sketch programs would debut on that day. And it kind of just stuck in your head then. You were like, oh, Thursdays of Funny. And, you know, like back in the days of like Nickelodeon and stuff, they were like, you know, Fridays, you know, like thank Nick, it's Friday and all this kind of stuff. So you could even go back to those kind of days and it might be a way of like, rather than just being, hey, here's the new Netflix show, because I think we've talked as well about like whether they're marketing these shows well enough, how they're, you know, grabbing audiences. And maybe it shouldn't just be like, hey, here's Sweet Tooth, here's Loki. Are you going to watch this? You're going to watch that? Because I think a lot of audiences and a lot of viewers will just kind of, see it and be like oh cool that's interesting where's this when does it debut or you know like if you give people a time and a day then it just gives them an idea of of it being more of an event of an event so i think if you yeah, start marketing things as you know wednesdays or marvel days if you have these like clever you know marketing strategies around having like they used to do thursdays are funny and thank nick it's friday and all those kind of stuff then you can kind of create a built-in audience who know oh i know that there's always going to be something entertaining and funny on a thursday because thursdays are funny you know or i know that there's going to be some funny stuff or you know on fridays because you know it's thank nick it's friday it's, it's that kind of mentality so even if you don't know what marvel show is coming up if you know the wednesday is a marvel day then you can go on there and rest assured you'll find some fine form of marvel content so it might be a viewer who isn't really interested in animation and wouldn't have watched the What If series before, but because they're used to their Wednesday 7 o'clock Marvel appointment viewing, they might be like, hey, I'll give this a shot. So I think that that's definitely something I think that will start to evolve and we'll see in the future. Uh, my only concern, I suppose, is just whether you're going to get a bit less water cooler talk. I think it's good for fans that you don't have this urgency. I think some people will th feel... If they haven't watched it on the Friday and they've missed it, then they miss out on the conversation that entire week and then they just go, oh, I may as well wait for it all to release or something like that. Because I think Wednesdays does give you that chance to maybe have people kind of, they might watch it on the Thursday or the Friday, they'll catch up at some point. And whenever you see your friends or people at work, you'll you'll talk to each other sometime within that, that weekly space. So I don't think there's that kind of like, oh, have you seen it this weekend? Oh, no, I haven't. Oh, well, you know speak to you in a few weeks time kind of thing i think they would still be that oh have you seen it last night oh no i didn't see it but there would still be like a few days for you to sort of like catch up or then even still going into a new week monday or tuesday you'd be like oh have you seen the new episode because you want to catch up for this wednesday oh no i'll check out tonight i think there's there's less of that appointment like that tight frame in what you got even though it's still a week to a week it's just something about the week structure and the way that people work and the mentality of it i think which will make them feel a bit more relaxed but I just don't know if that's going to take away from the kind of water cooler talk of like, oh my God, did you see what happened last night? Like, oh no, I, I usually watch that on a Sunday. And so you might lose a bit of that. Maybe that's my only concern. As you said there, it's, a, it's an experimental process and uh, one that is just continues to fascinate me how these streaming services are thinking and working out these different strategies. We'll see where it goes in the future. Um, so... As we talked about earlier, leaked photos. There's a lot going on these days. 
Uh, we didn't speak about a couple of weeks ago. There were some leaked photos of uh, Shazam. Uh, f- the sequel's currently filming right now. We saw some leaked photos of Zachary Levi in the new suit. But the director, David F. Sandberg, was like, you know what? I'm tired of all these leaked photos getting out. So he just released an official photo with the whole Marvel team all in their new outfits. An interesting detail is that the actress Grace Fulton, who played Mary in the first film, who only plays the non-superpowered version, is now all grown up. So she can play both versions, the non-superpowered version and Mary Marvel within the new costume and stuff like that. So Dave, I go to you first. What do you make of these new costumes? They look badass to me. And I could even say a little bit darker. Yeah, I didn't uh, notice that with... Yeah, I thought that there was something different about her. And yeah, so I I guess that's good for the actress who plays her uh, as a kid, but not so good for the actress who played her when she was uh, grown up. But again, I suppose you can't have bad feelings for like an actress progressing her career. But yeah, I think they look absolutely fantastic. I think that a lot of people had issues with the Shazam kind of rubbery latexy kind of look of the, the first film and it didn't like look like it was completely on Zachary Levi's body and you had similar kind of look to the other characters as good as it was to see them all there at the end of the film and it was fun it kind of did still look like they were all kind of dressed up in these muscle suits and it didn't quite fit them whereas here it looks like they really made the effort to go like no this is like they are buff underneath you this is you know on their skin this is a, a real suit, kind of still giving you that Man of Steel vibe again. So I think that while you said about it being odd that Supergirl's costume is potentially linked in with Henry Cavill's Superman, I think it's just the way that they're going with a lot of these suits. Is just They like that alien kind of realistic look to it. So I think that they're just making that uniform without throughout all of their DC costumes. So yeah, I think that that is really promising that it looks more realistic it looks you know it's fury of the gods so i guess it kind of looks more ancient and yeah this just looks so cool it's just you know there's not many other characters within comics or within media that look like this you know this team of superheroes who have like a uniform look they've all got their different colors i guess it's a kind of power rangers element to it but still it's you know the capes look really like you know it just looks like you grab that cape and you're like oh this feels nice you know it's like silk or something they just look they look so regal in them they look like royalty they really like stand out they look unique it looks really really cool and all of the actors just look like they're absolutely killing it i think all of them just look they look like real heroes and i think that each one of them is doing a fantastic job just within that one photo I'm like just getting so much energy and idea of what they're going to be like in the film and what their characters are like and the action almost. I think that because they're all, you know, like the one characters sort of like flexing in a way and other characters are kind of sort of like more leaned. I think it's just, yeah, just testament to like how much these actors are now settled in the role as well whereas again i think the end of the first shazam film you kind of tell it was still kind of a a screen test almost that they weren't quite there yet whereas i think here you can really tell that they are now at home they feel like more of a family unit and yeah hopefully it doesn't have a knock on like a bad effect to when they're their younger versions Uh, because i'm still you know i've still never been sold on the whole like kid turns into like an adult 
because I think ultimately, usually, you know, unfortunately, adults are the better actors. And just that idea of like a kid becoming a, an adult is almost like Saturday morning cartoon kind of stuff. But at the same time, that almost is kind of the point, I guess, and the charm maybe of the first film. But when you see a photo like this, it kind of makes you think, oh, this is the best element. This is the stuff that works. This is really cool. So hopefully that doesn't almost like damage the the time you get with them as, as younger versions of themselves. Depends how they play it. Like before, it, what was good in the first film is that they still seemed like they were the same kids. They didn't just become a different person all of a sudden. So I think that'll be interesting as well. But yeah, absolutely love them. Look, think they absolutely look really epic, really cool. Bravo. <laughs> uh, yeah, nice one. I have to agree with you there. Like these costumes, the first thing I thought was more money. <laughs> the mm. Warner Brothers were like, "Oh, we didn't expect this to do that well. Here's some more money to make the sequel. Like, make it like. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the first one, you could, as we we spoke about the costumes, you could tell cutting corners with the production budget and things like that special effects as well at times are like oh okay you need to tighten up there a bit there but here seeing these guys in these new costumes it also really invokes the title for me fury of the gods like mm. first of all because they do just look muscular and furious and ready to take on anything and they just look like gods do you know what i mean especially i can't remember his name but the one who was green in the first film but now he's got like a i'm not it looks black or really really dark green he just looks yeah the photo i'm looking at now it looks a lot more dark green i can see like it depends which yeah screen you view it and i just think this is invoking a sort of maybe a darker storyline you know with a lot of these sort of trilogies and things like that you know the second chapter does take a a darker turn you could say and i'm with you though i hope if they do want to go a bit more serious with the more superpowered beings and stuff like that, don't remove, don't take away from the charm of when they're kids, because I think that's for me anyway, the drawing factor of this film and what makes this film a friendly, a family friendly film for all to go see because you have that kid element. It's what every kid wants to see that they can just say this magic word. I have the power, you know, all that sort of stuff. Then, just invokes that spirit of just this one word and I can be a superhero, that sort of thing. And I think that's really important for kids to have. Sometimes when you see people like Wonder Woman, Batman or Superman, it can be a bit like, you know, you do look at them as gods in the way and sort of unreachable pinnacles to, to, to get to. But with Shazam, I still think it invokes that really fun element of being a kid and wanting to be a superhero. So I don't keep that in the film. But I would like to see a, maybe a, a darker approach, a more serious storyline. And I think this costume invokes that. And I will say kudos to David F. Sandberg. They still should have done this earlier. So the original leak photos uh, didn't get um, seen. But I think more studios should be doing this now. Because we're bound to get leaked photos, set photos, all these things that the studio doesn't want to see. Get ahead of all that. Go to a studio, take a couple of shots with these actors in their costumes and release it to the public. So then the leaked photos, we don't see, oh, people complain, oh, look, the suit looks a bit wonky here, you know what I mean? When all the time it's like, well, these are stunt suits, so, you know, don't get your panties in a bunch because they need to be color graded and the special effects and all that. So a lot of people judge them harshly because they're looking at it from the set photo. 
But when you do something like this, you look at them in all their glory. You're like, wow, okay, they look amazing. I'm totally in for this. Yeah, we got a podcast around here, Hollywood. You know, give give us more of this stuff for us to talk about. But yeah, I think uh, it just builds excitement for it. Is again, they did it with the first Suicide Squad film. They had that group photo of them, which got people more excited, and the fact that that made like seven hundred odd, you know, million dollars. I think was testament to that kind of you know people saw the joker and harley and and yes you know there's all sorts of moral reasons why that was wrong that everyone started going out as that couple costume but regardless it still got people excited about like oh my god i love the way the harley looks i want to go as her for halloween before the film had even come out so i think that there's that element as well of getting building anticipation building excitement getting people teased what you can kind of expect without giving too much again like a costume is Unless it is something like, you know, Mjolnir in Cap, you know, in Avengers, you know, you don't want to see like Cap holding that because that would have ruined the surprise. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, as long as it's something that we kind of know that's going to be there, then it, it can it can prove really effective. Mm. And I think when you were saying about it's important that they have that element of the kids turn into the adults, I think this will be the testing moment for that for me. Whereas I felt that there was like a unique and charming element of the first film, but I'm still not sold on it as a premise. And I've so not gelled with it in terms of lights from what I've seen of the comics and like in the animated stuff. So this will be the moment for me in which I'm like, right, this is their chance to see if I really am on board with this concept or not, if you can do it. Because like you said, you've got that expectations of a sequel to be darker and more serious and big up the story. So if you can do that at the same time as still making this work, then that's where it's going to be all in on this film for me to whether whether you can do that successfully all at the same time. Yeah, I don't think you're alone on that. I think there's a plenty of people out there who struggle with the character of Shazam slash the DC Captain Marvel. <laughs> I just want to mm, make that yeah. clear. Our very own comic book shogun, Tom Gappa, he has said himself he struggles with Shazam, but he's found the movie okay and he struggles with him sometimes in the comics. So it is an obstacle for people to overcome. But yeah, it's, it is an interesting one. I th Let's hope it does well. I really hope it does well because I think considering the budget and considering the marketing and the hype around the first one, I thought the first one was actually quite good and it did relatively well box office wise. So I hope people come out for this one. Well, looking forward to that, but we got a, a while to wait. As I said, that would be July 2023. So a couple of years to go. That'll be, that's it for the news stories for now, so we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be back for the main topic. It's okay, I'm not okay. Each member is chosen for his or her own completely unique set of abilities. I need to feel the raindrops on my head, on my head. Hey guys, sorry I'm late. Had to go number two. Good to know. Is this thing a dog? A dog? What kind of dog do you think it is, mate? I'm gonna go with Afghan Hound. Oh my god, is it a werewolf? Yo, they sent me into a werewolf! Yo, let me out! Yeah, he's not a werewolf, okay? He's a weasel. He's harmless. I mean, he's not harmless. He's killed 27 children, but, you know. So, we're back now, and we're gonna be discussing our main topic, but I am in no position to discuss this topic because... Dave is going to be all over this one. So, Dave, what is the big topic this week? Well, we were just talking about Fury of the Gods, but we have to praise the gods right now because we have been graced with another trailer from the DC gods, from 
the man himself, Mr. James Gunn, and the cast of Suicide Squad with a brand new trailer, uh, which at the moment is labeled as early access trailer, do not share. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's potentially given us our biggest glimpse at the story yet. Probably along with the first trailer, this would be classed as like the official trailer, I think, going forward. I think this is definitely one you could see playing ahead of some of the big films we're going to get in the next few weeks in cinemas. It gives you our biggest glimpse of the characters and the team and the powers yet. Also has an exclusive new song along with it and a lot of the jokes that we sort of expect. And not any repeats from the last trailer as well. So yeah, I absolutely loved this. I was so excited for it and I'm so excited for this film. This really does cement to me that it is my most anticipated film of the year. It's a fantastic trailer. Loads of goodies to unpack, loads of story elements. So very fitting to be our main story of the week. So Jake, what are your thoughts on the Suicide Squad early access? Well, first of all, I love the way... Well, I don't know if they did intend for this to happen, but the way it was marketed as a uh, supposedly leaked trailer by the cast that they were just like, hell, I'm just going to upload the trailer before I get the go-ahead from Warner Brothers. I don't know how intentional that was. Maybe an intern accidentally pressed upload a bit too early and they somehow shifted it to be like, oh, they're the bad guys. You know, they leaked the trailer. So <laughs> they spun that very well if that was not the case. So I, I do like the way they market it. And, you know, early access, do not share. That's really fun. Uh, just It just invokes a lot of James Gunn's style of humor and, and stuff. And yeah, as for the trailer, I'm totally on board with this. This seems like, for me, the ultimate summer blockbuster. Like, it's the very film I go to the cinema for during the summer for the scale, the explosions, the dynamic chemistry between the cast, um, all the humor that's going along, uh, the story threads that are really interesting. Oh, what's that element going to do? I am absolutely on board with this. James Gunn is going to give us one of the films of the year, I believe. I wouldn't say it's my most anticipated, but it's definitely up there. And uh, as for the individual moments, like the humor is on point. Like the stuff with uh, John Cena, uh, a Peacemaker, when they're in like the, the meeting room, and he's like, well, hang on, is that a starfish is slang for butthole. So I just wanted to make it that, make sure that's not a connection. <laughs> uh, and like he just looks fantastic in it. Harley, uh, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, as ever, is great. I really liked at the beginning that they focused on Idris Elba as Bloodsport. Sort of, they're sort of really teeing him up to be one of the main characters. And I really like, you know, they've got his daughter in there and stuff. The only slight worry I have regarding this is that he's being very teed up to be the main character, as I said, and sort of replace the Will Smith Deadshot character. And I do feel as if they are treading on very familiar ground here with the daughter element. And, you know, Amanda Waller saying, well, I've got your daughter. If you do this for me, like you'll be able to see her and all that sort of stuff. I hope they don't tread similar beats. That's the only concern I have. Other than that, I really like the detail that they've bigged him up to be this really not to be trifled with character. The fact that he puts Superman in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet immediately from the start of the trailer like okay this guy's a badass he means business and then er just everyone is incredible weasel that joke with pete davidson say oh you're a werewolf and all that sort of stuff 
it's just absolutely fantastic. This is why I go to the movies in the summer to d see these big, humorous action comedies that are just spectacle all around. But I think I've said enough, Dave. I, you're the guy I want to hear from because this is way up your street. You haven't stopped talking about this film. James Gunn is... So I feel as if he's like your type of filmmaker. You know, the Guardians films have been some of your favorites within the MCU. So what do you make of this? Yeah, the fact that uh, David Das Malchian, uh, who plays Polka Dot Man, I think he had a interview with Zavi earlier this week and the interviewer brought up uh, the Suicide Squad because uh, he's also uh, appearing in uh, Batman, isn't it? So I think in that interview, he said that, you know, James Gunn is such an inventive filmmaker. He brings such, you know, a creative atmosphere to the set and to every project that he takes on. And I think, like you said, when I was reading that, I was just like, you know, the, the points that he was bringing up, I was thinking, yeah, this is why James Gunn is so much my jam because he's so inventive with everything that he does. Um, it's such a different take and he has such a distinct flavor and it's kind of the same elements that I enjoy Matthew Vaughan for as well. I think that they kind of are, are in some ways from the same sort of wheelhouse in, in that respect. So I think that this trailer just speaks to that and it just goes to show that the the previous trailer wasn't a fluke and they're not even repeating like any of the jokes. Like here you have very little King Shark and... You know, you don't have as like much Rick Flag, so it goes to show that there's a lot to unpack in this film, and they're not relying just on those three or four jokes, which a lot of trailers can do. I think a lot of the time, in which they're just showing you the same moments. Here, you get very little of the same. You know, you you do have the typical shots of like Harley with the flowers behind her, and some stuff of you know them leaping from buildings and all that kind of stuff. But largely, it's all you know brand new stuff. So I think that that is, you know, a good early sign. And yeah, I agree with you. I think it looks like, you know, the ultimate kind of summer blockbuster, very fun, very ridiculous, has to be seen on the big screen. And I think that that is, again, one of my worries is that, you know, we've had a film like In the Heights, which some people have said that maybe is underperformed because of, you know, the fact that it's on HBO Max. Some people disagree. I know I kind of fall somewhere in between. I think that it's a mixture of things. But I do think HBO Max is an element of it. When you're talking about something like a musical or something, people go, well, do I need to see that on the big screen? And I think with something like Godzilla vs. Kong, people clearly went like, no, I need to see this on the big screen. So I think that there's still an element of that, thankfully, here with Suicide Squad, and which people, even though they've got the option, will feel that they have to go watch it on the big screen. But I do still worry about that element of just too much of it being spoiled online, too many clips, too much of this kind of like, oh, I can just watch it at home, especially as we've already talked about, it's going to be summer, people are going to have holiday plans, they're going out, they might just think, oh, you know what, it's easier just to kind of like chuck it on, I can just watch it on my phone on the way to work or something like that. So I hope that doesn't harm it. But I also just think that regardless of whether it affects its success or not, it just shows that it should be a theatrical experience. It's like the argument with Dune is like, no, this shouldn't, you shouldn't even have the option. Like, this is how you watch this film. This is an exclusive theater experience, which I think would is important. So I think that that's my main issue with, with that side of things. But yeah, I also had the same feelings with you in terms of the 
Idris Elba stuff. I felt the like, oh, this seems like we're treading similar territory. I especially didn't like that stuff in the first Suicide Squad film because I felt that it was kind of bigging up the family-friendly image of Will Smith. So then you almost rob Deadshot of the image of being a criminal. They were like, no, we can't have Will Smith be a criminal, so we're going to have to make him sympathetic in some way or form because it's Will Smith, which I think that really harmed that film and that character. Whereas I think luckily here... It seems like a more you can tell the differences in it in a director like James Gunn, in which like he might actually make them look even worse for the David film A film in saying, Well, if you want to do that story, here's how to do it right. <laughs> because here, you know, you don't have like a little eight-year-old girl. You have like a very realistic looking daughter who, you know, looks like she is sort of brought up, you know, maybe on the streets. She's sort of like very realistic in terms of like asking for stuff from her father. She's like a teenager just seems like a more like diverse and realistic depiction of the character and it plays to Idris Elba's strengths which again they did that with Deadshot they're playing to Will Smith's strengths but it, it was a disservice to the character he was playing whereas here I think again it's, it's kind of like where people have said oh I think Idris Elba should be the next James Bond I've never agreed with that because I just don't I think he's just too much of that kind of like rough and ready character so that's why I think that he perfectly suits this character here so it's, it's playing to his his strengths in a good way and I think that without knowing too much about Bloodsport I think that that seems to to go with the vibe that they're going for with that character if he is this kind of mercenary uh, more like violent character and, and like you said the fact that you say that thing about Superman right at the beginning maybe kind of laugh in my head I was thinking is this how they gave Henry Cavill out of the uh, of the DCEU <laughs> like oh yeah, he's, he's been shot you know <laughs> he's uh, in a coma now sorry yeah I, th I think that th that would be amusing anyway but yeah and then apart from that like I said it's all just the usual stuff I love all the cast members that we're seeing here I think that you know I I'll say that I think Margot Robbie has grown as Harley Quinn I think that she's always been great you know it was a bit iffy on her in the first Suicide Squad film but here, you can just see that she is so comfortable in the character and that she's just nailing it with everything. That joke when she comes on the helicopter, I just love that. Like, sorry, just go for a number two, which in any other circumstances, you'd be like, oh, God, that's a bit of a stupid joke. But she makes it work. Sorry to interrupt, Dave, but I think a lot of it has to be done, has to be down to the director she's working with as well. Yeah, they've said this combination is great. That's right. James Gunn has said himself that Margot Robbie is the best actor he has ever worked with and i think you can really see that in the trailers and like i've been a fan of margot robbie as the character of harley quinn but you can't deny that james gunn is probably the best director she's worked with as with the character yeah and you know i love the weasel stuff i love that theme that just his brother seems to play like all the like animal characters in his like blockbuster films uh weasel is exactly what i wanted him to be i was kind of like oh we don't want to have this like weird talking animal walking around with them but like no he literally is just like this weird like runt animal that's just like making noise and kind of like popping his eyes out weirdly like i just i don't know it just seems like he's just tagged along he's like some like he's like a disgusting jar jar binks or something <laughs> who doesn't talk he's like he's not there for a reason he kind of just like jumped on board and they're just like okay <laughs> who killed 27 children <laughs> <laughs> so yeah just uh margot robbie like oh is he like a werewolf and all that kind of stuff so again it just shows that there's so many like a lot of james gunn films that this just like iconic moment after iconic moment after iconic moment rather than just like playing all around like these three or four moments you know, it reminds me of 
again, Guardians of the Galaxy in which, you know, like, oh, why would, why would I put my finger on his throat? And then you have, like, you know, the breakout scene. And then you have, you know, in number two, you have the, like, laughing at, at Quill when, you know, they sort of feeling each other's thoughts and all that kind of stuff. That there's all those iconic moments. And it goes to show that he's packing that, packing this film full of those those moments again. Pete Davidson, I think, does an excellent job here as well. I think he's perfectly suited to the world of, of James Gunn and the way he reacts and everything. You know, he's he's a great actor, and I think that he he's pulling it off here, and it, it looks fantastic. So that looks very fun. I think that he he could work really well for the comedy. I love seeing Peter Capaldi, as I said before, and also Ratcatcher in this trailer. We finally get to see like rather than just the rats running around, she's got like a little rats on her shoulder and stuff, and they got like little jackets and stuff on, and I'm like I'm loving that. It just looks kind of cute but also kind of deadly maybe you see like a bunch of rats like floating around in that shot of harley when she's like underwater and you can see uh the starfish and stuff in the background so yeah absolutely loving it this is i'm so excited for this big shout out as well to uh, the song which i mentioned earlier which is called rain uh which is by uh or featuring jesse reyes by grandson apparently and i think that that's quite exciting as well i think that despite all the problems with suicide squad the david ayer version they still had a pretty good soundtrack didn't work particularly well in the film it was very much jukeboxy kind of snapchat the movie kind of just dumped this song on top of it but they had a good a lot of good original songs on the soundtrack movie (laughs) yeah it was (laughs) it was edited by the people who made the trailer so it's snapchat the movie yeah, they had the 21 Pilots song. They had Imagine Dragons did a song. There was a load of good songs on that soundtrack, which are like made for the film, etc., which didn't so much play in the film. So this could be great if they do that as well. As we said before we recorded, James Gunn is great at having some really great songs in his films. But it also just adds to the flavor of Suicide Squad of being this kind of like ragtag group, this kind of rock and roll you know, like random assortment of like alternative characters. So it makes sense to kind of have then like an album with like a lot of like alternative musicians and a lot of like rock music and all that kind of stuff. So that experience makes me enjoy the film all the more. I think that's what kind of speaks to me about a lot of these films and why I get into them so much is that it kind of gives me a lot of like places I can enjoy it. I can enjoy it in a lot of different levels. I'm listening to the music, watching the film, thinking about the action sequences, thinking about the actors. So yeah. Lots to be excited about, and I can't wait. Just going to have a big grin throughout this entire film, I feel like. This entire trailer, I was just watching with a grin on my face. I feel that uh, watching watching the film itself in the cinema is going to be very much a similar experience. I think I'll need to see it twice, because the first time I'll just be watching you all the time, just smiling. <laughs> I'll just be like, hey, look at this, Dave. He's, ha- he's having a great time. So I'll need to see it again to actually watch the film. Like, it's- a couple of other things I'd like to say is that I really like how they've edited these trailers because I was kind of cautious, like with these type of films, like you who's gonna die, like, and you start to sometimes piece together the footage, and you're like, mm, well, these characters are not in this sort of area of the film and like that. But I think they've done a really good job of editing it. To for me, I'm like, I still have no idea what the structure of this film is gonna be. Like, I even have a funny feeling like Starro will be like at the beginning of the film or something like that. <laughs> and it'll just be something ridiculous. Like, okay, we're going to open the film like that. So, yeah, I have no idea what the structure of this film is going to be. And I like that within the trailers, I still don't know who's going to die. And James Gunn have said a lot of people are going to die. Viola Davis as well looks incredible. 
I actually thought she was one of the stronger elements of the David Ayer Suicide Squad, so I'm glad that they brought her back. I think she really fits the role well of Amanda Waller. Like that interaction when Idris Elba's got like the knife to her and she's not phased at all. She's like, do you want to do this job or not? <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely love her. And the fact that the slogan to this film is, you know, they're dying to save the world, I think, again, is, is perfect. Because like you said, you know, a lot of people die. It's the Suicide Squad. Makes a lot of sense. Another maybe like criticism I have just or like early worry is that some people said as well that this first Suicide Squad film didn't make sense in that it was this end of world event. Why were they sent to do it? Not, you know, the Justice League or Superman or whoever. So again, I'm not sure, again, if we're going to get this element of where she says, you know, look, this I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't absolutely need to. So if it is this end of world event again, it's like, Mm, you know why are you sending these guys you know usually again they work best in when it's more like covert missions and that kind of stuff but again we'll see i think there's a lot of stuff in this trailer that suggests otherwise in which you can see that they're in kind of like military bases and kind of you know shady areas they're doing the kind of like so more heist kind of elements to it so you know that there definitely will be elements of that which will probably subvert that that problem Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have good feelings about this film, and because of that date, this episode releases on a Thursday, so tomorrow will officially be five weeks away from the release of this film, Dave. So, Ooh. get ready. Exciting. Right, so that's it. That's the Suicide Squad trailer. Looking forward to that. Uh, so we're going to take another quick break before we go into our weekly pull list. Well, after X-Men hit at the box office, all the studios started buying up every comic property they could get their dirty little hands on. This week, I have the task of giving you guys the, the comics. I have the power. Tom is not here. so And I haven't even disclosed with Tom uh, what comics I'm going to be pulling this week for the, for, for the show. So... I hope he uh, he approves of my choices. So I'll start off with uh, with DC. Me being a huge Batman fan, I'm obviously going to be getting Detective Comics, and this is Detective Comics issue 1,038. That is right. There's been 1,038 comics in Detective Comics, which is absolutely insane. Uh, Huntress is in the fold again. Lady Clayface is here. Will the city collapse underneath itself? Who knows? But it's some really good stuff happening in Detective Comics, so check that out. Um, Then we go to Stay on DC, Infinite Frontier number one. So Infinite Frontier a few weeks ago started this new phase in DC where they basically said, all the multiverses count. They're all canon, and it just confused things even more. And then after Dark Knight's Death Metal, everything was sort of put back where it belonged. Uh, Everything, like all the damage from all the crises was undone. And some of the heroes that we had thought had gone forever have returned. So this is a good place to jump on. Infinite Frontier number one. It's the next big event in DC. And we'll see what's going on with the multiverse. And with all this talk of multiverse stuff happening within movies and TV, this might be a good place to jump on to get your sort of head around how the multiverse works. So we're going to head over to Marvel now. So we've got Amazing Spider-Man issue 69. Nick Spencer continues his amazing run on Spider-Man with the Chameleon Conspiracy. As this carries on with uh, Teresa Parker, they dig into and cover what the Chameleon Conspiracy is. And the next up from Marvel, this is Pride Month. And Tom shouted out a week or two ago 
uh, DC did a Pride issue. It is Marvel's turn. So this week we have Marvel Voices colon Pride issue one. So this is basically a special issue. Uh, it's a bit longer. It's 88 pages, and it's just going to have a lot of stories about uh, all the LGBTQ characters within the Marvel Universe. So we're going to be have stories about Wiccan and Hulklin, Iceman, Mystique, Destiny, Karma, and a few other characters. So really important. Representation matters. And if there's any month to pick this up, this is the month and this is the week. So check that out. And then for my indie pool, we're going to go with Image, and that is Sea of Stars issue 10. This is by Jason Aaron, who is a very popular writer among the Marvel Universe with his work on Thor. But he's got this really cute but also epic father-son space adventure story going on at Image called Sea of Stars. So this is the the end of the second arc, issue 10. So you can pick this up. If you love it, go check out the other issues. There's not that many to pick up. So I'll just read that off again. So with DC, we got Detective Comics issue 1038, Infinite Frontier issue number one, Amazing Spider-Man issue 69, Marvel Voices Pride issue one, and Sea of Stars issue 10. So those are the five comics for you guys to be checking out this week. But Dave, any of those pulls uh, catch your eye? I think the indie one sounds the most interesting, actually. I really like that name, Sea of Stars. It's like really kind of sounds like something I, I would have like thought of or come up with. This kind of sounds like my jam. I like the the idea of it, of you know, him being a swimmer and the the Leviathan and all that kind of stuff. It sounds sounds really cool. Obviously Spider Man is always great, especially when you've got something like the chameleon who I guess is kind of like a more underused villain. And, you know, when you're mentioning the Marvel voices, the prize stuff I know. To me, is it is it almost as if like Marvel does have maybe more LGBT characters than DC, or at least well known ones? I think when when you mention some of those characters, I'm a bit more like ah yes, yes, yes. You know, whereas like the DC ones, I'm like oh who, who are they? You know, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just my my Marvel bias, but it just seems that they do have a few more well known LGBT characters. Uh, not to say that you should pick up one or the uh, over the other, but maybe they've just done a better job. So maybe Marvel is the best route to go with in in terms of that. Well, I would say pick both of them up if you can. Uh, but yeah, no, I would agree with you. I would say in terms of like bigger characters that are like in the forefront of people's minds, I would say Marvel do have the you know Wiccan, Hulklin, Iceman, Mystique, all very big characters within the Marvel universe compared to some of the others that DC have, which is. You know, Alan Scott, who is popular, but is not as popular as some of the other Green Lanterns. You know, Kate Kane, which is Batwoman, popular, but still obviously not as popular as some of the other members of the Bat family. So, yeah, I would say that Marvel do have the the bigger characters who represent uh, within the L- LGBTQ plus community. Hopefully Tom does approve. So then, you know, of, of your picks, you know, taking over that mantle because, you know, he, he should brace himself for maybe when I do it next week. And I'm like, this week, I recommend the Beano uh, issue <laughs> 579. They're still going. Sim- They're still going. Simpsons, Simpsons comic issue uh, 500. <laughs> right. So, uh, so yeah, let's get your comics. As I, as I say every week, support your local comic book stores as get, we're getting back out there, getting back into the world. Seeing seeing movies in the theaters, buying comics from the comic book stores, and just general being outside with your friends and family. So, 
As always, thank you everyone for listening to this episode. We appreciate people coming on board every week listening to us geek out and discussing all this crazy stuff. But Dave, where can the people find you and catch up with what you got going? Yeah, you can catch me on Twitter at David Osgar, O-S-G-A-R. That's where I put a lot of uh, interesting tweets about what I'm watching, what I'm doing, what I'm observing, such as my idea for a new sitcom featuring Mothra in which he is the mother of two teenage children. And that's just the sitcom. It's just that they get into scrapes and uh, Mothra is just their giant moth mum. But she just is just a mother. Like there's, n- there's nothing else to it. And I just <laughs> want people's opinions on what I should name this. I need some sort of like goofy sitcom name. I was kind of trying to think of like a play on like two and a half men like two and a half moths or something, but I was like, <laughs> <laughs> two and a half that didn't moths. quite make sense because there's only one. So, you know, <laughs> chuck me your ideas. Uh, also, if you go onto freshtakehub.com at the moment, I've got an article up about the return of cinema. I've got uh, a few more posts and articles in the pipeline. So if you are loving the vibes of being back in the cinema, I talk there about, you know, the experiences of watching things like Quiet Place 2 and having films like In the Heights, etc and even F9 to a degree, all coming out and having that wonderful return to the theatrical experience and why it's important. So go check that out. And also ask the question, will No Time to Die ever come out? (laughs) (laughs) Ask the question, will Dave go and watch Fast 9 just to see the preview of Jurassic World and then just walk out? (laughs) No, you will stay for Fast Cars and Family, Dave. Come on now. I will sit there watching a film I've not watched any of the predecessors, bar maybe the first three years and years ago, and have no idea what's happening. (laughs) But then feel that I probably don't need to know what's happening. I was going to say, I don't think you need to just go in, have a blast. You know what I mean? Get your popcorn, (laughs) get your large drink, and just have a blast. Yeah, you can also find me on the socials. I'm on Twitter at Sweaty Jake. And you can also catch me on Letterboxd at Jake Hart, where I'm discussing film and writing my reviews and you can see all my hot takes. And as for the show, we're also on Twitter at Capes, Cows, and Masks. And we're also on Facebook at Capes, Cows, and Masks. And if you're using Anchor, Spotify, Apple, or Google, whatever you use to listen to us, subscribe and follow us on there. And if you're on Apple, leave us a rating and a review as it all helps us go up in the rankings. So thank you all for listening. We'll see you all next week. Stay safe, everyone. Goodbye. Bye.